Hello everybody, welcome back to Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast with your host me, Chanel Patrice Hancock here in Akron, Ohio, where today on June 21st, 2020, it's going to be 88 degrees Fahrenheit, which is going to probably be about 28 degrees Celsius, give or take. Don't quote me on that because I suck at like um, the conversion side of things. (laughs) However... Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast with my interview with Dr. Gareth Hawkins from HowToGetFluent.com. Um, I want to start off by saying thank you to Dr. Gareth Hawkins for coming on the show. Um, despite the fact we had technical issues, um, there is a few times where the signal cut out and so therefore you guys probably will hear that just to let you guys know um and it was lovely talking to Gareth um there was 152 minutes which you know it's almost two hours long a little over two hours and so um I hope you guys enjoy it um for what it's worth Um, I told some more about my language learning journey as well, Um, but before I add um, the recordings to this episode, which is 161, I would like to thank Anchor.fm for being a sponsor for the show. So if you guys want to do the same thing that I'm doing right now, which is recording a podcast show. You can go to anchor.fm. It's 100% free, 100% accessible with screen readers such as VoiceOver for the Mac and iOS devices. If you have an Android phone, um, if you have Windows computer where you use NVDA or JAWS for Windows as your screen reader, um, it's 100% accessible. I just want people out there who use screen readers who might be legally blind or completely blind or deafblind or have some other disability where they have to use a screen reader. Um, you know, it's 100% accessible, so go to anchor.fm. Um, you won't regret it. I know I didn't. Thank you guys for coming back to listen to episode 161 of the podcast. Thank you for sticking with me. Um, I'm up to 105 countries now and I'm very happy that we're continuing to grow and that people are continuing to subscribe please rate review share subscribe to the podcast um, if you guys like language learning um, I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast with my guest Dr. Gareth Hopkins from howtogetfluent.com Remember, language learning is a journey, not a race. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey. And enjoy this episode of Chanel's Language Learning Journey podcast with my guest, Dr. Gareth Hopkins. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. I appreciate it. Not at all. I'm just sorry it's taken us so long to arrange it because <laughs> we've been discussing it for months. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. I, 
it, yes, and I I understand everyone's schedule is just like crazy. I mean, I still have to re-record an interview with Luca. Aha, uh-huh. re-record. Yeah. Well, what happened was was when when we set up the um, time for us to do it, there was a lot of brownouts either on my end or his end. So, um, like we didn't even get like fifteen minutes of speaking in at all. Like, it's so frustrating when that happens, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you just want to go on with a conversation, but the technology's just not with you. Right. And so I, we, we've been trying to, um, you know, reschedule, but, you know, I'm thinking now that coronavirus is, you know, people are at home a lot more, even though they are slowly opening up cities. Um, you know, it, it, it gives people time now to like do things that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. That's right. There is a bit of a time when that's true for me as well. I normally commute to the office where I work uh, three days a week and uh, I don't have to do that. So I've gained an extra what nearly two hours a day and a whole lot of energy. Uh, so which I'm trying to use for language learning, of course, <laughs> to some extent. Um, given the fact that I've been following you for a nice minute now, um, for my listeners that don't really know that much about you, um, could, could you give a little um, background about how you got started with languages? What made you want to, you know, pursue languages as um, not just a hobby, but like for work purposes? Which, yeah, of course. I mean, I grew up in a monolingual, entirely monoglot environment in Yorkshire, which is in the north of England, the northeast of England, very beautiful part of the country. And I, like many, had some French and German at school, but didn't really get very far with them. But I was always, I think, fascinated by the idea of foreign languages. And my grandfather, who passed away before I was born, my father's father was a Welsh first language speaker. So I knew there was a sort of heritage of another language in the family. I was very lucky as a kid to go abroad with my parents on holidays and to hear other languages. So as I was moving towards the end of high school, really, I started to realise that despite my failures um, trying to get fluent in French and German at school, I wanted to take languages further. And although I majored in history at university, I started doing a lot of French and then learning Welsh on the side. And then I went in to do postgraduate work actually on Russian history. Uh, and during that time, I learnt Russian and German as well. And by that time, I was really enthusiastic to go on learning languages, which is something I've been doing on and off now ever since. So that's how the interest developed, really. And it's insatiable for me. It's something I find fascinating, both the process of learning, which I actually really enjoy, despite its frustrations, but also, of course, discovering more about the world uh, and making connections with people having my worldview challenged and expanded through foreign language cultures. Um, I'm curious, like, I understand that you picked up an indigenous language, another one, um, Basque. That's Basque. right. 
Well, Basque is one of the more recent languages, and uh, that is one where I'm a sort of at a lower intermediate level now. The interest in that came really through several visits to the Basque country with some friends from Wales, because for most of my life, for all of my adult life, I have been as a Welsh learner and now a fluent speaker, very much committed to the future of the Welsh language. And there are a lot of parallels between the situation in the Basque country. People don't know that is an area in the northwest of Spain, the southwest of France, on the coast of the Atlantic, which straddles the end of the Pyrenees, where they have their own language. Uh, which is quite unlike any other language. The Basque language is spoken by about 700,000 people, most of them mother tongue speakers. And yeah, it's what's called a language isolate. So a fascinating language unrelated to any other, rather like Japanese, for example. Uh, in that sense, you know, a real uh, sort of story unto itself. So again, it's been fascinating, as it always is, when you start to learn a new language, to discover a whole new culture as well uh, with with Basque. But it's it's quite a challenge. It's very regular, but it has some peculiarities. Um, I'm just curious, what what is your process? Like, what could you take me through a day of like your routine? Like when you're you're studying a language or you're picking the materials for a language or you're, you know, um, you find a language that you're interested in, you know, what do you do first? Yeah, um, I'm a great believer in having a core course, which I like to use uh, would be either a, a good self-study textbook or an equivalent mm -hmm. online course. And I like that because it gives me a roadmap and a structure to move through. Let's face it, when you're learning a language, it's not reinventing the wheel. As I always say, actually, imitation, not innovation, is the name of the game. And, of course, we need to learn things that we need in our own life. We're going to need to focus in on talking about our profession or our family or our reasons for learning a language, whatever we need the language for. But also, at the beginning, we all need to get the basic grammar, or what I like to call the language patterns, which recur throughout the language. We all need the core vocabulary of the first two or three thousand words, the most frequent words, starting with the first 500 to 1,000, which make up, you know, 70% of normal conversation. And we've got to get on top of those. And to me, a textbook with audio, dialogue-based uh Self-correction exercises, a core vocabulary is a great initial resource. So mm -hmm. I would typically get one of those. It could be from a series such as Teach Yourself or Asimil. could be one of the online ones. It could be one of the colloquial series of books, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I would start to work through that. And uh, I would typically take what I call a focus study slot. So mm -hmm. that would be at least half an hour a day. Um, maybe 45 minutes. And I would try and do that regularly, say early in the morning, uh, okay. at least five days a week. Uh, and so that is the core for me. Then there are things we can go on to talk about, you know, about when you start speaking, what you should be listening to and so on. But the core approach for me 
is first of all to 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 go with um you know a textbook which will help me to get the core vocabulary and the core patterns uh, to throw up the mental scaffolding of the language inside my head. Mm-hmm. Now, are you more of a visual audio learner or are you more kinesthetic? Are you a little bit of all three? I like to say I think we all really learn language in the same way. Uh, so I'm a bit sceptical about how deep learning styles as such, which is what you're talking about, go. I think what we all have is preferences as to how we engage with the language. I think that we all learn by getting a lot of input and exposure, uh, right. internalising the patterns, whether we speed that up, as I like to do, through conscious, focused study, or for those who are not so interested in that, more and more uh, exploring a more random pulling apart of language, a lot of listening, which we all need to do. Um, but then, of course, in terms of what we like doing, some people like to watch video. Some people like to listen to a lot of audio. Some people like to get out there and interact straight away because they are naturally extrovert. And they're great at making a little go a long way. But as I say, my preference is I'm quite a studious person. Uh, one of my gifts is uh, self-discipline. And I'm the sort of person who likes to take a methodical approach preparing the ground. Uh, right. That's one of my gifts, if you like. I think we've all got different gifts and we've got to play to our strengths. Remembering, though, that we all have to, in the end, do a lot of what we want to get good at. For languages, for me, that means taking sound seriously, listening a lot at the beginning, working on the pronunciation, the intonation in particular initially, getting the right. core building block sounds of the language, and then a lot of listening practice. And, of course, to speak well, a lot of speaking practice as well. Um, but those are things, for me, which tend to come a bit later, and I really kick in with those once I've worked through one of these, as I say, initial core self-study courses. Do you give yourself like a time period? Like, I mean, most people, they have a beginning goal, middle goal and end goal as to what they want to do with their language, whether they want. I don't know. I just want to dip my, my feet into Welsh. So I just want to do up to like an A1 and that's it or I want to be conversational, or I want to master the language, or I want to teach law in the language, you know, whatever it may be. Good question. And I think it's really important when we're starting a language to think clearly about why we want to learn the language. And that could be because we need it uh, for our job, for example, or because we're in a relationship with somebody who speaks the language or it could be we're attracted because of an interest in a particular culture or films or particular or sorts of reasons, cuisine, something which could visiting a place every year attract us to the language. But we need to know that we have um, a good reason which is going to keep us going through thick and thin. And that's almost what I'd call the vision where you want to get to. Uh, for me, 
that is very often to get to a very good working knowledge, which is what I'd call level B2 on the common European framework of reference for languages, which is the scale which tries to objectively describe different levels of competence in a language. It's it's the sort of level where you could go and uh, uh, use the language in your in, in work, perhaps, uh, but being short of a full mastery, perhaps. And that, to me, is a very good, solid level. And I have taken, actually, several of my languages into moving to higher to an advanced C level. And I've done that with German and Russian and Welsh. And my French is sort of moving in that direction. And with the languages I'm serious about, I'm always trying to get, I think, to B2 at least. So that is true of my uh, Basque. And I will see how we go with my current project, which is main project, which is Japanese. Very early days with that yet. But I've dabbled. I'm not really a dabbler, but I have taken tasters in other languages, uh, such as Icelandic and Indonesian. And then if I dig a bit further back, there are languages where I intend to go back and take them further, uh, where I wasn't dabbling, but they are pause. They're languages like Finnish, Italian, Hungarian, uh, Portuguese, where I've done quite a lot of work, but then uh, have, you know, moved on to other things. So it depends on the language. But for me, yeah, it's it always the aim is always that I should have a sort of lifelong engagement with the language, even if when I'm actually going to come back to it may be a rather theoretical question, uh, sometimes for many years, because for me, you know, I, I'm what you call a, li- a long term language learner, actually. Right. Uh, but then, Chanel, to come to the other part of what you're asking, uh, setting intermediate goals then. So where you want to go with your language, that to me is your vision goal. But your intermediate goals are, you know, the path goals. What's the next stage in your language learning? And for me, for that, uh, I like to set a goal maybe two or three months out. So a horizon where I where um, I have some spe- very specific goal at the end. So it isn't to be able to speak German. That's too vague. It's to uh, maybe to be able to read uh, um, uh, basic newspaper articles in the language or to be able to have a 15 minute conversation on a general topic with a native speaker. Whatever it is you want to do, something you can work towards two or three months out when it's long enough for you to be able to. If you're disciplined and practice habit, which is so important with language learning, to register a change to move the needle, but not so far into the future that you can always postpone till tomorrow, which which is the danger if you set the target too far out or if uh, the target is too vague, I think. So I like to do that. And then you have to decide, of course, on the procedure each day. So maybe three months out, I want to I want to have worked through half, say, of an introductory course in a language. So it might be a colloquials book or a teach yourself book. And in the next three months, I want to work halfway through that book, say. But then I have to decide. What's my study slot going to be? Am I going to do half an hour, five days a week, two hours, three days a week? And I think, you know, it's commonly said, and I think it's true, a little more often is is better than a binge. 
So I would typically set, uh, as I say, half an hour is a good period because it's enough to get into something. But it's your recording. Go ahead. Okay, so shall I? I'll repeat. I'll go back, Chanel, to the start of talking about. Um, it's difficult to know where to start again, so that you can cut it. Uh, so um, that you can edit it. We were talking about different uh, core elements of, of language learning. I I was talking about how controversial my my language learning is um, because I I don't concentrate on writing a lot. I mostly concentrate on listening, speaking, and um, reading. Um, yeah. In fact, I can no longer read print anymore. I, I mostly read uh, with my Braille display or I have voiceover read it to me, you know, auditorily in whatever language, you know, is written in. So that's how I get my information in regards to, you know, um, learning. You know, I do the speak from day one approach because it's easy for me to be able to remember the grammar. I kind of mind map and visualize in my head where the words go. So if it's, if, if the, Indirect direct object pronouns at the end of the word, like an Irish, yeah. you know, uh, you know, if you're saying, you know, uh, I speak a little Irish, you know, Tame, Begon, Gingawa, Agat, okay, yeah, but if, you know, if you're saying you're from Ireland, is, is, as, um, um, Il, Iran, uh, May, you know, so, yeah, I mean, like, I do those types of tricks. Yes, yeah, I mean, we... Yeah. Yes, that's obviously, um, as you are very much forced to force into the sound, which, of course, is the core of language, isn't it? It's essentially sound. And... Um, well, as adults, I think a lot of us, you know, we're used to learning the, the combination of reading and listening. Uh, of course, we learned our first languages purely through sound. And there's no reason that we cannot do that, as, as you prove, uh, as adults with uh, foreign languages. Uh, and uh, one thing for me that's always crucial with a textbook, which is what I, as I say, I like to use, it is to have a good audio, good audio with the course. Without right. that, for me, it's a, it's a deal breaker. Right. You have to have that. You can't get anywhere without list, getting an awful lot of listening practice in a language. Um, do you like audio only courses such as Pimslur? I used Pimslur, but it was too slow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and then you, it's not like you can skip around either, you know. You cannot. And um, to me, it was it was it was too slow. I my my method is um, I'll use Michelle Thomas if the language is there. Like I started with Russian with Michelle Thomas. Yes. And then I did like the the innovative language learning series. So I would I would utilize that Um, colloquial languages, audio files. I would use um, YouTube, um, TuneIn Radio. well, with Russian, I did about 5,544 hours worth of listening Wow! Uh, in a year. So I broke it up. Like the first year, I did nothing but speak and record myself speaking. I used Memorize, and I did like six out of the seven um, 
courses from that in Russian with the conjunction of the Russian pod 101 and then Michelle Thomas um vocabulary wasn't my problem it was getting the case system right certain parts and yeah. I I kept speaking and then I had Russian today channel on my um AT&T subscription so I would just keep that on constantly yeah. you know, listen yeah. to like Radio Roka out of um, Moscow and a little bit of Radio Swoboda and I would speak to a lot of people from Russia and I would listen to like I picked like President Putin to listen to because I liked his voice and the way he spoke. So I would listen to the four-hour marathon, you know, press conferences that he would have. And I would listen to like talk shows in Russian. I probably learned more about my own country and its politics from watching Russian TV. (laughs) Where do you say you were talking to Russians then? Do you mean you were booking sort of language tandems or... Uh, one-to-one sessions with a tutor online or that sort of thing? Oh, no, no, no. I did I did um, language exchanges on Skype and yeah. on Facebook, Instant Messenger, and WhatsApp. And I made a lot of friends that way. I actually had a Russian boyfriend for a while. Yeah. And yeah. I knew that I was proficient in the language when I had a three-hour conversation with his mother, and he spoke no, she spoke no English. The yeah. The language she spoke yeah. was German and Russian. And yeah. I had her laughing so hard at half of the stuff I was saying. And she was like, your Russian is really good. And I mean, this is after two years, a year of speaking, a year of listening. I mean, I went from 6 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week, nothing but Russian. So you got mass practice. And did, do you think that actually, you know, not being able to use written materials so easily uh, for you is actually an advantage because you're you don't have the crutch, as it were, of and the danger of just studying the language rather than actually practicing it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always been an auditory learner. I mean, I've been a large print learner ever since I was young, but due to my readable vision declining over the years, it became more and more difficult for me to be able to see the written word on paper. So even though I could still write a check, with my sight checks, but I don't do a lot of writing. Yeah. Um, like I can still read the box of a Cheerio box, but if we turn the, the box over to the ingredients, I wouldn't be able to read that. Hmm. So for me, uh, a lot of it is, you know, auditory. I mean, I do know Russian Braille. I do know um, Braille in certain languages, but what I do for that is I'll learn the alphabet by heart, and then once I get a nice, I would say B2 foundation, then I start reading after the fact, because all the, everything that's been, you know, lodged in my head for a while. Like with Spanish, I never learned how to read and write in Spanish. I never learned Spanish Braille, but because I learned it in college, auditorily, and I mean, I would do the two and a half hours worth of class time in the classroom, and then I would do another two hours, six days a week with a tutor. So I yeah. would do about 12 and a half hours worth of Spanish six days a week for like 27 months, and I became so proficient, they wanted me to go to Mexico and Cuba to go to school. <laughs> but but I, I just, you know, I didn't have a passport at the time, and I really wasn't interested. 
Um, because Spanish wasn't my thing, it was just the language that was available for me to take, you know, from beginning to end because they didn't have French, they didn't have Italian, they didn't have Russian or Arabic. So I took it, I did well, but I was more, I would say, into the cultural side of Spanish more so than I want to speak it. So I like the food, the dancing, the music, the people. That aspect, which I kept up for about 20 years. Yeah. And so that, that's why now I'm able to understand Castilian Spanish very well when they're having high complex conversations. And I'm able to understand Latin American Spanish and Spanish from Central America because of the fact that, you know, I listen, I listen to a lot of music, which I still love until this day. I'm just, you know, it, it's just not like the de facto language I go to. I mean, I'd rather go to Russian. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so you would read you would read typically uh, in braille texts then. Um yeah, well, I have a I have a braille display where I compare it with my phone or my iPad Pro. And I would be able to read um the text. If it's written in Tibetan, I will be able to read it in Tibetan braille even though I don't know a lick of Tibetan. You know, because it it would it would um sync up with whatever is written on the screen so like it i can read just about any language as long as it's written in that language so all of the all of the asian languages all the languages from india all the languages from africa just about uh you know europe i would be able to read them and so but for me, I do a lot of ebooks, so I'll, I'll get ebooks and I'll have voiceover read it to me, and I'll download the the language, like the speech for that particular yeah. language, and I'll have it read it to me. Like I have uh, a lot of Ollie Richards on um, short stories for beginners. Like I just bought a Swedish one, and I started listening to it yesterday because I started the Swedish foundation course of um, Michelle Thomas recently, and then I. I kind of piggybacked with the Swedish, um, copyright Swedish course, which I'm on like episode seven or something of season one. And, you know, I mean, that kind of, I'm able to reinforce what I learned from the Michelle Thomas course. I'm not even done with it yet with, with what the copyright language course has, you know, because I want to kind of see how much I, I understood from yeah. learning it off of the first course. So that's what I do with that. And then I take it a step further and I had bought Footloose yesterday and I had taken the Russian subtitles, not Russian, the Swedish subtitles, and I turned them on and I had voiceover on my Apple TV read me the subtitles in Swedish out loud. So I'm sitting up there watching the TV and I'm listening at the same time to the Swedish subtitles, and I'm able to pick out certain phrases in Swedish that I learned from what I already studied over the weekend. Plus, I picked up a whole bunch of other information um, at the same time. And I so, do you think the technology is there then, Chanel? Mm -hmm. With you know, this is generated instantaneously generated speech is it to these subtitles mm -hmm. or when you're listening to one of ollie's books 
Also, yeah. it's your computer that's doing that, or is there audio with that book? I don't think there is audio with those books. Um, there are audio, but you have to buy the audio books separately. Right, but, yes. But I don't see what the point, I mean, honestly, personally, I don't see what the point is. If I can have voiceover read it to me in the language. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean, I love Ollie to death, and I do have some of his books in audio, but I guess if I look at it like I'd rather pay eight bucks, yeah. buy the Kindle book, and just listen to it in Swedish. You know, not a problem. Yeah. Uh, so, and, mm-hmm. yeah, um, you mentioned uh, you, you, you found that the uh, Pinsler courses, courses were a bit slow. Uh, some people don't like Michelle Thomas because of the sort of simulated classroom where you are, as it were, the third student. And you hit, listen to other students stumbling along in the language. You have to wait your turn, as it were. Do, do you find that? But you use Michelle Thomas, Thomas rather than Pim Slur. Yeah, so you're not bothered by that problem. You're not bothered by the other students. No, actually, I've learned the more courses I use from that, I just completely, like, don't even listen to them. Yeah. I I listen to the teacher. Give the correct pronunciation. And I actually yeah. do think it out for myself. Like, Russian was the first language. Then I did Dutch. Then I did French and Italian. Japanese. Um, I have the Egyptian Arabic. I, I have the Irish course, which is pretty good, actually. And I, I I have the Swedish course as well. Um, so I, I have a nice amount of courses. Now I have dabbled in their Greek, um, their Polish, um, the German. I don't need Spanish because I'm fluent in Spanish. Um, I, I, I did sample the Mandarin. I wasn't really happy. The Korean's amazing. I did the sample. Of the starter kit for the Korean reviewed that and a lot of people liked it. I do plan on reviewing the foundation course for Korean. Um, I actually do want to see how Ollie did. <laughs> yeah, yes. With, yeah. With it because, you know, I, I was actually curious to know. I mean, he's never like learned a language like this before. So I'm wondering if his Japanese or his Cantonese might have tried to, you know, influence, you know, have some interruption. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I did the Korean course for the starter Korean course for it. And the basic Japanese that I know, it did not get in my head at all. I've, I've developed a method where I only focus on that particular language right then and there, even if it is at the beginning stages. I don't let any other language I know interfere in my, you know, being able to speak the other language, even if it's at a beginner level. I, um, It took me a while to be able to get my brain not to let the other languages come into my head, but I, I successfully accomplished it. And how soon do you start speaking then? Right away. Um, so you can, when you can only say, my name is Chanel, what's your name? You will start right. speaking, as it were. Right, right. Like, I mean, like with Michelle Thomas, I, I used to do these, these drills in my head where I would, I would do the whole course in like one day. 
like I would I would do the first three and a half hours. Yeah. And then I would take a break. And then I would do the other three and a half hours and then I would go and I would throw up a video of everything that I learned in that seven hours. Just so I wouldn't forget it. Just so I can get feedback from the people who actually speak the language. Oh, I see. Yeah. On YouTube. And, so, yeah. So you'd be using YouTube almost as a, as a way of forming connections and getting feedback straight away. Actually, I use Facebook. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I use Facebook probably more so than YouTube. Yes. Um, but I will say I did get a lot of feedback. I mean, when I did Japan, the Japanese foundation course as a prime example, I did it in like seven hours. I mean, I would never ask my students to do that. I mean, I did it because I'm a geek and I want to see how far I can push my brain as far as how much I can learn at one time. But that's for my own personal reasons, not not because I'm trying to boast or anything like that. I always have to let people know that because, you know, I want to test how quickly I can learn something and retain it. Now, I did learn A1 Hindi in six days using Mango. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't remember all of it. I remember certain things. I don't remember everything. I mean, I was tested by the uh, content creator of the Michelle Thomas Hindi course, um, Akshaya Baka, Bakaya, uh, which I spoke into two weeks ago uh, for three hours. Uh, we... Let's just say I probably learned more about India. <laughs> it's <laughs> politics and culture and poetry all in three hours. I mean, it was a great experience to speak to him. I'm going to be interviewing him eventually. I just have to figure out what we're going to talk about because it's not going to be about his, um, you know, why he did the Michelle Thomas Hindi course. He did explain that to me in a three-hour conversation that we had because we were getting to know each other. Yeah. So I... I here we have I have a multiple um, amount of people that live in Akron that's from all over the world, specifically Asia, um, Africa, the Middle East, um, South America, Mexico, Puerto Rico, and Eastern Europe. And so, you know, you got people from Serbia, you got people from Russia, um, Ukraine, um, you know. We got, like, people from India that speak Hindi. I mean, the Urdu and Bengali, Somali, French, Japanese, Thai, um, Mandarin, and I – oh, and Korean, too. So I I pretty much learn the languages that are around me as opposed to, okay, I want to jump on a plane to go to – Northeast Asia, so I can speak. But I don't necessarily have to. They're here. <laughs> In my yeah, family. and that is going to perhaps if there's going to be less uh, hopping around the world and less foreign travel in the coming months and even years because of the COVID pandemic. Yes, uh, uh, making the most of the communities around us and the opportunities around us is going to be a big thing, isn't it? And it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I would love to travel the world, don't get me wrong, but even as someone that's legally blind and I have a guide dog, I I have to take into consideration not only my safety as someone that's a woman of of color and that's African-American and visually impaired, but I also have a guide dog. You know, I got to look at 
you know, uh, coming into someone's country, what are the procedures I have to go through as far as ha bringing my guide dogs with me? Does he have to be quarantined for a period? You know, people don't realize that. They think, okay, let's go to a country. Yeah. Then, well, you might want to think about that. Yeah. Not every country I can go to because my rights aren't the same in Western world. You know, I couldn't go to Afghanistan. No offense to anyone from Afghanistan. I've had, I've met some really cool people from Afghanistan. But... I couldn't go there. I couldn't go to Iran. I couldn't go to Saudi Arabia. I don't have any rights. Not only as a woman, but as someone that's disabled. No yeah. rights. You know, so, you know, and I just did an interview a while ago with someone that is totally blind and she works for the government and she's African American and she, her and her family went to Egypt last year and she said everything was done through her dad, all transactions, all food bought, they did not speak to the women hardly at all. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, she said she she enjoyed it. I said, okay, you do realize you're in a country where most of it is Islamic and you got to be covered up. How did you deal with that? You know, I, I coached her brain about all that because you know you have Americans and Westerners going over to these places and you see them dressed like they were back in Western society and they don't even realize that they're offending people because of how they're dressed like you don't go there with shorts on and a tube top and you're <laughs> sitting in the cab between like two two Egyptian men who happen to be practicing Islam and you can just imagine what's going through their mind, you know? So yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, I've heard stories about how they don't, they don't really like that at all. It, you know, which I can understand from a cultural standpoint. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, I find Egypt to be a very beautiful country, you know, and with a lot of history and depth to it. But, you know, that would that would be a concern for me if I ever wanted to go to the Middle East, you know. Yeah. Those types of things. And then you've got to worry about the laws. And I have brought that up to someone that I interviewed a while back. I said, well... You know, we, you know, people want to become highly proficient at speaking a language or understanding it or being able to read and write in it. But, I mean, there's more to it than that. You're going over to someone's backyard. You better know their rules. Because something that you and I as Western people may take for granted might be life and death over in whatever country, you know, we're going to, you know. So I'd rather know the laws and, okay, if I got to go to Russia, I got to register with the police because they track everybody. You got to have two passports, one inside the country, one outside the country. Okay. I got to do this, this, and that. Okay. That's fine. Thank God I, I learned that. You know, I mean, I was reading like Moscow newspapers 
and you know everything just to make sure I because that is one of my goals I would love to go to Russia one day and <laughs> visit Moscow and St. Petersburg and um, use my Russian but I kind of feel that if I'm going into someone else's backyard I, I want to know what I'm getting myself into so there won't be any surprises because you know, what about if you can't get yourself out of a sticky spot? Yeah. You're kind yeah. of screwed. But uh, I would say um, being a part of the, you know, language learning community for the past five years, I've felt nothing but, you know, a lot of support, um, very much welcome by the people that I associate with. I mean, I, I have had some negative flack, but, yep. but overall, most of the people I've encountered have been nothing but gracious um, and very knowledgeable. I mean, because even I'm still learning, believe it or not. So do you learn almost, um, you, you, see, you do a sort of very intense initial phase so are you, um, you know, you, you put hours in each day when you're starting a new language. Would it become almost yeah. a full time, a full time occupation for you initially for a couple of months? Or are you juggling it with other things? Um, well, right now, um, it's mostly like a full time occupation for me. Um, I do dabble from time to time. I'm not going to lie on that. Um, I think it depends. Like, if I get bored, like, let's say I spent three weeks using the Mango app for Korean. And the Korean course was a basic A1, 10-chapter course. Basically, you can utilize all the information in that course to go over to Korea and, like, do your touristy things, ask for directions, and buy things at shops, and tell where you're from, and what time is it, and, you know, all those, all those initial things, um, you know, ask for help, and, and all that type of stuff. I think I did, like, maybe four chapters out of that, was doing it for three weeks, went into a Korean hair shop with my aunt, and the only thing I could say is Biko American, nay, I see you and the bot. <laughs> so, and this was after three weeks, and I realized, okay, why was I learning this for? Oh, I forgot. I learned, like, Cantonese in six weeks, and I enjoyed ordering food, so I thought I could do the same thing with Korean. Um, but usually when I'm really interested in something, I will put a book. Wow, a good five, six months into it. Um, and I think it also depends on what it is I'm using it for. Like I'm going on this whole I want to go to restaurants and order food in my in whatever target language I've I've touched on. So last year, after six weeks of doing the Cantonese course in the Mango app, which I completed the whole course in six weeks, I picked up the phone, called a Chinese restaurant. And in, Man in Cantonese, I was able to get my name, telephone number, address, and order my food over the phone. Now, what was so ironic about that event 
was that I wanted to order barbecue beef buns. Well, in the U.S., they don't sell barbecue beef buns. You only get that in Hong Kong. So we had a nice laugh about it. So, being the lady over the phone. But she was so impressed that I was able to learn that much Cantonese in six weeks. She, she encouraged me to keep going. Even though she spoke Mandarin, she understood everything I was saying. <laughs> so for me, for me, I was like, I like this idea because it gave me a goal, a starting point to begin with, and something to end with. And if the only Cantonese I wanted to know was how to order food and say my basic phrases, then I should be, I should be okay with that. I'm not worried if I'm not at a C1 or B2 or B1 in the language. As long as I'm able to be understood at a basic level, I'm happy. So I did that. And then I did it again with Thai. Because they had a basic A1 course for Thai. So I did it for Thai. Um, 20 minutes. I was in the passenger seat while my friend was driving me to this Thai restaurant in Akron. And I told her, you have to be quiet because I'm about to learn how to order food in Thai. When I got in that restaurant... And then I bowed to Buddha before I even walked into the place. And then I went and I just started speaking Thai. And I ordered me some Singapore noodles with some Thai tea. And Thai. And the chick that took my order, she spoke Spanish, English, and Thai. And Chinese, Thai, and Egyptian Arabic last year at three different restaurants. And then I said, I want to keep going with this trend. Because I wanted to do it at an Indian restaurant in Hindi at some point and at a Japanese restaurant here in Akron at some point just to practice my Japanese. And someone said, well, that's different. That's using your language in real time in a different way. And I said, well, yes, of course it is. Because at the end of the day, are you going to be given a lecture on, like, you know, the creation of plutonium and how that came about? No. You know, you're going to be speaking like you would in your native tongue, you know, to some extent. Uh, you know, whether you're buying something, you're ordering food, you know, you're sending someone a small text message or a voice message in my case. Um, I, I think for me, in regards to language learning, I just enjoy the experience of learning, period. Um Given yeah, I like me. Yeah. My, 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 my high school experience wasn't the greatest. Like, I wasn't put into regular classes. You know, people thought that I had a severe learning disability when I didn't. And so I, I didn't, like, have your traditional maths and your traditional sciences or history. So a lot of it was me doing a lot of reading, you know, of my own. And I did finally was able to go to college and get a degree and, and go to film school and be the first visually impaired person to ever graduate from film school with honors and uh, directing, screenwriting and producing. And then, um, you know, got my certification to teach English to business people and young learners. Um, so my background is theater and film, believe it or not. And so, um, and I'm a big history buff. Like, I yeah, study yeah. history because I like it. Like, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, my favorite parts is I like uh, the Middle East, yeah. Asian history, and Russian history, believe it or not. Um, 
anything with the Middle East, anything with Africa, um, I've always been attached to Asian culture, African culture, the Middle East, Russia, France, um, ever since I was a teenager, you know, and when, you know, the whole apartheid situation and, uh, you know, what was going on with that and, and Mandela being released and assassination of uh, Yuxak Rabin and, you know, Yasser Arafat dying and, you know, all that type of stuff. So, for me, um, you know, I learn for the sake of learning, you know, because I, I believe you, we all can learn from each other in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm also somebody who takes a delight in in learning for its own sake. Um, much as, you know, I look for practical applications to get out and use for me, right. just the joy of, you know, communicating, making other sounds or reading other marks, other sets of marks on the paper right. <laughs> is a miracle. Right. Uh, it's something I delight in. Right. Now, I'm just curious, like, do you like reading nonfiction? Do you like reading fiction and fantasy, biographies, memoirs when you're in your target language? I... um do yes i like to read um all sorts of different things really uh, i think it's useful to learn other topics through a language so i've got a book at the moment about how to draw in russian teaching drawing techniques mm -hmm. um i have a book in french about the basque country we mentioned earlier on i'm learning basque so i can learn more about the history and the culture while also improving my French at the same time. And in my most advanced languages, uh, in Russian, German, Welsh, I read all sorts of different things from classics of literature to popular sort of disposable, as it were, criminal novels, genre novels, as well as history books or more factual books. And right. some poetry. I'm not a big poetry person, uh, but I do explore a bit in poetry in, um, in my languages too. I think that's the, almost the hardest to read because it's such concentrated language. And of right. course, be very creative and, uh, pushing the boundaries of language. Uh, but yeah, I think reading is such a great way to get so much exposure to the language and so much repetition of patterns uh, um, as well as you know being a source of information and pleasure so i think reading is really really a way of turbocharging your language learning if you're um if you're able to do it and if you're a reading person of course if you're the sort of person who doesn't read in your own language then it's not something necessarily you're going to want to put front and center of your foreign language learning is it you know, it's funny you said that because I've been reading. My mother had a book in my hand at age four. <laughs> and so, like, I remember reading Disney and Sesame Street. And, you know, because I remember um, Luca Lampriello had asked me, have I, had I ever read the Hardy, the Hardy Boys? And I was like, no. I remember the TV show. I <laughs> I don't remember reading it. No, I mean, because being African-American, yes, I've been exposed to a lot of white culture and white literature, but that wasn't it. Yeah. Um, 
I remember watching the show when it was on TV, but I never really was like fascinated with that sort of, you know, genre of books. Um, I mean, I do remember reading The Babysitter's Club at some point. I read a whole book. I was more into, okay, my favorite books are Les Miserables by Nari Man, um, and Great Expectations. Um, and then there was a book that I read a long time ago called Shabano's Wind, and it took place in Africa. But I don't remember the author. <laughs> and and um, I just found out that I I have a quarter Irish in my bloodline. Yeah, oh, hence the interest in the language, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, at first I wasn't going to learn it, but everybody else, well, why don't you learn Irish? I if I don't have a connection to it, whether it's in my bloodline or something, or it's not calling to me, I'm not just going to learn it for the sake of it. Um, especially if it's not spoken in my community either, like in my town, you know, you you know, um, as a matter of fact, it's not. And we have, I just found this out recently, like as of yesterday, in the U.S., 356 languages are spoken. Wow. And I had no idea. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's impressive, even though we're dealing with a lot of language discrimination right now, um, especially in the Latin, Arab, and Asian communities. If they, they want to speak their language, they can't because some idiotic fool is saying, you need to speak American. What's that supposed to mean? Yeah, I think intolerance is on the rise, linguistic intolerance here in Britain as well. And it's sort of part of the mood music almost of Brexit. Uh, and... Um, I haven't experienced that directly myself. Uh, why would I as a, <laughs> an English speaker? But, um, yeah, I've seen clips, you know, on Twitter and on Facebook of people being criticized for speaking other languages. Which is terrible because the United States was built off of, and this is pretty sad to say, slavery, indigenous servitude, and immigrants. If people wouldn't have come over from all over, we would not be the United States of America. It would just be boring. You know, and people are still coming over here because they want a better life for themselves, regardless of the racial tension. You know, they want a better life. Have you um, any uh, thought of or have you already learned any indigenous american languages so native american i suppose is the phrase not i tried to learn i learned like um ojibwe uh-huh. a little bit i well because i said i did the lang the 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 lang gym challenge last year and I learned how to say, like, hello in Ojibwe. And that was the extent of my weekend of learning Ojibwe. <laughs> um, but I, because I actually um, have some Cherokee on my father's side, um, even though I don't know a lot about my father's side, because I was raised by my mother. Um, and then on my grandfather's side, which is my mother's father, um, there's Blackfoot Indian. So I we I've never like thought about learning um, Native American language as of yet. 
Um, I am learning my heritage languages, which are Swahili and Irish at the moment. Yes, yes. And, and so I, I'm learning, um, I know more Irish now, because <laughs> um, I use the Mango Irish course, and I'm like almost halfway through that, like it's only 10 chapters. And then I learned a lot more from the Irish Foundation course that I got from Michelle Thomas recently and reviewed. And I actually got to interview the the woman who created the course, um, Patricia um, Mac-Ian. That's right. I know Patricia. Yes, I met her at the language event in Edinburgh. She was a speaker back in February, actually, just before we were locked down. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she was lovely to speak to. Yes. And... and um, I, because I was supposed to do a Irish challenge with a friend of mine, but he never got into. He bought the course, but he never like got into it. And I was like, screw this! I I already put myself out there on on public media saying I was gonna learn this. So so, so I mean, and when I do say I'm gonna learn something, I just don't half-ass it. I actually do it. You know, even if it's at a basic level, I'm learning something. You know, and I said I may never like go to Ireland at the moment, but the fact that I can introduce myself, I can say what the weather is, I can say other things that I didn't know before in Irish, that says something. I mean, I even went as far as to make shepherd's pie from scratch. You know, <laughs> so so I mean, I try to connect the languages to some type of event, whether it's ordering food, learning how to cook cuisine from the from the different um, countries like I learned how to make borscht and olivier salad which go off very well with my friends here in the states um you know my Russian friends like ooh you're good I was, you know it, I mean it's just in like my language skills they my cooking skills too so and then I because I've been learning Lebanese Arabic because we have a high Lebanese population here since November uh I've been learning how to cook Lebanese food since November, and um, I kind of incorporate bits of my own life into my language learning routine, so, you know, it, it helps me learn, like, the food and the measurements and, you know, all that type of stuff for when I'm, you know, if I ever need to go over to somebody else's backyard, I can, I can survive, you know. At a basic level. So. But it's great to have these, you know, this added dimension, the culinary dimension, culinary dimension, if you like. Uh, it gives you, it's a way of bringing sociability almost. You could look at recipes in the language as well, right. actually follow them or, you know, but then cook for your friends. It, it's a way of sharing your passion uh, indirectly through the food almost, but it's a sort of social social thing isn't it as well <laughs> right I mean because I yeah. guess I look at it like you know everyone talks about I want to speak a language I want to be I want to I want to speak I want to be native you know at a native level and I say okay we can come close but we'll never be 100% native because we didn't grow up there so yeah. if you lived in Wales all your life then you would have certain behaviors and societal, you know, um, courts that you would, 
you would display, you know, because you live there all your life. You know, yeah. you have friends there. You you have experiences. Well, when you're an adult and you're going to someone else's backyard, let's say you live there for 20, 30 years, you can come close to being native, but you'll never be native. Like, you can speak all day. They're going to know. You're going to make, you're going to come up and make some type of mistake where they're going to know you're still not native, even though you've been living there for 30 years. Yeah. You, yeah. And I mean, when people say, I want to be native, I was like, oh, well, you want to be highly proficient in a language? How much of it do you really want to know? How fluent do you want to sound when you're speaking? And then, like, people have a tendency to, I don't know, like, misuse the word fluent. Like, they fail to realize fluent is like you speaking the language without ums and ahs and pauses. You know, it's about how it flows coming out of your mouth, not how much information you know. And a lot of people will give the definition I just gave, and then they'll still use it incorrectly. And I'm just, like, listening, like, oh, you just said it correctly, but you you meant to say how proficient you are. How much information do you know? You know, you know. And I said, if I can carry a conversation about the things that I enjoy doing and then a little extra, I'm happy with that. I'm not going to be talking about how, you know, corn was made and so forth and so on. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I am a Christian, so I do believe in God and Jesus, but I don't talk about religion. Uh, mainly because I don't feel comfortable talking about it. So I'm not going to focus on those types of, you know, phrases, vocabulary, so forth and so on. Now, if I want to talk about politics, if I want to talk about immigration, I'll study that type of vocabulary so I'll know what I'm talking about, you know. Or And then I'll ask a friend of mine, hey, is this how you say this in this language, in your language, so forth and so on. So I'll know it's correct use when speaking it. But otherwise, like, if I don't know everything, I'm not worried about it. If I make a mistake, I'm not worried about it. You know, I don't I don't beat myself over the head if I don't get it right every time. You know, because even native speakers of their own language mess up when they're speaking. So, you know, I don't know why we have to put so much pressure to, li- to deliver you know, whatever it is we're trying to say, as long as we're understood by the other person on the receiving end, that's what matters. Not that your grammar is correct. Yeah, I suppose it depends on what stage you are as well, because, you know, sometimes we keep the pressure on ourselves because we raise our standards, we raise our sights the further on that we get. Right. So initially, I'm just grateful if I can get the message across with my Basque. But then with my German or my Russian, I'm taking that for granted that I can do that. And I'm pushing myself or beating myself up for uh, small things that I can't understand or more advanced mistakes that that I'm making. And, you know, tending to focus in on those mistakes. Right. uh, Rather than say, hey, as you say, uh, you're never going to get it perfect. 
and focus on you know the ninety percent that you do get right, and right. don't obsess about about the mistakes. But, but nobody, I suppose, and this is an encouraging, almost a liberating thing. Is really bothered about how well you speak your languages or I speak my languages. As you say, they want to communicate. They want to listen to our message. Right. Or they want to have conversations with us. And uh, that's what we should be focusing on or almost. So the, it's the medium is it's the message, not the medium, as it were, kind of phrase. Because I noticed that with, I mean, like, I, I probably have like 710 followers on my Twitter page. And I see a lot of the young people, like the millennials and the generation underneath them. And they'll sit there and they'll just beat themselves up over the head about, well, I need to get this grammar tense right. And I'm, I sit there and I'll tweet, will you relax? No one cares about that. They just want to know what you want. They don't care about the rest of it. It's irrelevant. Yeah. You know, it, as long as you want, you get what you're trying to say to them across, it doesn't matter. They're happy that you're even taking the time to learn their language. So that's what matters most to them. I mean, half the time if I'm speaking a little bit of Thai or some Hindi or when I learned a little bit of Icelandic and Finnish last year, people went crazy because they were like, wow, I can't believe you're taking the time to learn even a little bit of our language. Well, I was inspired with the whole Finnish thing because of Professor Arguelles and then in his whole adventure over in Finland for three months and what he did in order to achieve a high level of speaking that language in that short amount of time. I literally was like, I want to go over there. I want to speak like that. I don't want to speak English all day. I mean, literally, it just, it blew my mind to know that this man went over there and learned Finnish in the amount of time that he did and the way that he did it. And I was like, why can't I do that? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, for me, I, I it's it's kind of funny because someone asked me who was my language, you know, who did, who did, who did I admire in the community, and I said I pretty much admire anybody that's willing to crack up in a book or an audio recording and learn something that they didn't know before, because we all start at the beginning at ground zero, and so. You know, the fact that people are willing to put themselves on the line and embarrass themselves and, and and learn something different about someone else's culture and respect their culture, too. I mean, not not be disrespectful with it at all. Um, it says a lot to me. It says volumes. Um, One of the exciting things when you're starting a language is... Yeah, you know zero. You learn one thing that you've increased your knowledge by 100%. But of course, there's diminishing returns set in. And so people can be very infused and feel that they're making real progress at the beginning. And it would help, I think, if people were a bit more aware of the process. Uh, and the, the further on you get, actually, the harder it is to push the boundaries. Not only because, oh, yeah. as I say, you're demanding more, but because you've got all the low hanging fruit. And of course, right. we should collect the low-hanging fruit. But uh, if you want to go further, then 
you know, one needs to be aware that there are times when it does get difficult, it does get harder, where you exactly do feel you're you trudging along a uh, stuck on a plateau, trudging along a across a plane, whatever uh, metaphor we want to use. Right. Um, and if people just knew that that was normal, so much about getting better in language learning it seems to me is just about sticking at it, actually. Right. Uh, um, and you know. Just keeping going, <laughs> just keeping going. Yeah, um, and, and stay motivated. Like, yeah. you know, like instead of like having the goal be something like, I want to be highly proficient in Russian in six months. Um, I can tell you, I wasn't highly proficient in Russian. It took me two and a half years. I started crying when I was listening to an audiobook of Tolstoy in Russian, okay? It took me that long just to understand Tolstoy in Russian. But it it didn't happen overnight. But it, it, it did happen. You know, me having a three-hour conversation in Russian, that took time. I had to work at that. You know, I didn't mind making mistakes and falling on my face. But what carried me through that was the fact I loved it. Like, I lived, eat, slept, breathed, and dreamt in Russian, like, all the time. You know, I mean, people, I mean, I actually did have some derogatory comments made to me by people in this country about me studying Russian. And I was like, the Cold War's over. You know that, right? (laughs) so, So, I was like, when the Iron Curtain went down on the Soviet Union, I was 14, I was, you know, okay. Well, I'm not a communist. Communism's over, well, at least in Russia. Oh. I was like, well, you like Putin. Okay, I like Putin. Okay, there's certain things about Putin I like. Not to say every decision he's ever made I agree with. But if it wasn't for his press conferences and it wasn't for me being fixated on nothing but Russia constantly, I wouldn't be as proficient in it in regards to understanding and speaking it as well as I am, you know, years later, if that wasn't my goal was, you know, I mean, because that was one of the two languages I always wanted to learn was French and Russian ever since I was 13. So for me personally, that was that was an accomplishment for me. A lifelong one. So, and the fact they did it independently and I didn't have to pay a teacher and I taught myself, that said something else. And that was when technology was starting to become more advanced, but I, I still had issues finding materials in Russian, you know, because a lot of it was in uh, PDF format and my screen reader couldn't read it and it wasn't ebook and yeah, it was just, it was very difficult, you know, and people assume because I live in the U.S., I have access to everything, and no, you don't. <laughs> you have access now, more now, but five years ago when I started, no. So, you know, I I have to say, um, language learning for me has changed my life in so many ways. I've met so many cool people, you know, i I get to interview people from like all over the place and uh, I get to um, 
you know, do what I have to do in order to be, um, you know, the best language learner for myself, but also a great advocate who's, you know, African-American and disabled, you know, for learning languages, because, you know, if I can do it and I'm not taking stuff down and color coded pens, you know, back and front paper and half the books in red, the other half in green, the other half in blue. Um, I used to be able to do that no longer, but yeah. <laughs> but I kind of feel if I can do it, I I think anybody can for the most part. You yeah, know, as I say, as a, you know, as you are a visually impaired person, you are really, um, again, showing just how, how important the, the, the sound element is. And that's a lesson for everybody, I think, uh, you know. Tell us a bit about, you know, tell me a bit about the resources you're using, Chanel, for, for Swahili. Right now, I'm using Swahili, Swahili Pod um, 101. Yeah. And I'm using um, Mango Languages Swahili. They have like 20 chapters in it. And so I'm using those two for Swahili at the moment. Um, I am still on chapter two, lesson three, going on lesson four for Swahili. I've, I've, um, I kind of wanted to finish the Irish first and then go back to the Swahili. I mean, but I did learn, like, how to say Asante, Sana, and Kwahari, and Habari, and uh, Habariza, um, um, Jumbo. Uh, yeah, there's a couple things I learned how to say. Um, I mean, I learned how to say, like, you know, certain words, certain, like, you know, Mama, and and uh, brother and sister and you know different words here and there that I can I can recall from my grand at the moment but right now because uh, I've been like dipping in the Swedish since I bought the Swedish uh, Michelle Thomas because I plan on reviewing it for my podcast show so that's another reason I'm learning it uh, so I can give an in-depth view but also to uh I attempted to learn it over a year and a half ago and with dismal results. And so now I want to prove to myself, okay, I can learn this language. This might be the only Scandinavian language I learned, but that's okay. Uh, and because it's similar to Danish and Norwegian, it probably wouldn't be difficult for me to understand both after learning it. So, um, But with Swahili... You know, I said, well, why not learn my other heritage language or at least a piece of it? Um, I don't think I'll be going over to that part of the world at this point. <laughs> but the fact that I, I took a dip in the, both of my heritage languages this year to say I learned a little bit of it would make volumes to me as opposed to not knowing a word or a phrase or a series of phrases or, you know, like I, I do hold myself accountable because I'm in an Irish group where I can practice my Irish on Facebook and a Swahili group. 
to practice my Swahili. And I'm just going to find somebody to do an exchange with for Swedish because I was in a Swedish group, but I took myself out of it um, because I'm not a writer and I don't write. I do a lot of verbal communication about 99% of the time. And so I like to get feedback based off of what I said out loud. So would you typically, so you use Facebook a lot for your language learning. Would you typically then be posting short videos in these different groups rather than writing a comment? Right. Yes. And unfortunately, but you do comment a lot. You do comment a lot on Facebook, Chanel. You're always, yeah. you know, engaging in written discussions as well in, in Facebook. English. Yeah. Yeah. In English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. English, yeah. Yes. Foreign languages, not so much. <laughs> um, because my, I can be honest, my Russian writing sucks. Well, ninety percent of the time, it's because I never practiced it. Yeah. I wanted to be able to be understood verbally. So for me, it was just like, yes, I can read what you wrote in Russian. I can tell you what you said in Russian, yeah. But I'm not, don't ask me to reply back in a written response because I'm dictating it. And dictation theory doesn't always work out correctly. And I've gotten a lot of flack from people in the language learning community about that. And I, people have had to say you have to stop being mean because she does have a disability. Her her technology doesn't always work correctly, and that does not mean that she's not intelligent. But I have gotten that. I've I've had some dark periods in the language learning community where I've been very much bullied and had to leave groups because of the amount of harassment I was getting because they couldn't understand my way of learning. Because everything, they want everything to be written out. Or they want you to explain everything to them like they're a two-year-old. Yet when you ask them, can you please describe in the description box what this picture says? Because my screen reader cannot read this and it's not my screen reader's fault. You scanned this into a scanner in a JPEG file and I know you did because I can't read it. So unless you type on that font, on that page saying this is what this is, my screen reader will not be able to read it. It cannot read JPEG files. And it can't read certain PDF files either. So, unless it's an e-format, rich text format, TXT format, I'm screwed. So, I try to say that as respectfully as I can. And I try to get people to understand that accessibility is important and not everything is about learning something with both eyeballs because even though I have some residual vision in my left eye, does not mean I can drive a car. I can see a car. I can't drive it. Um, you know, I can, I can read the headline of a newspaper, but I can't read the print underneath it. So there, there are limits to what I can and cannot do. And I'm being as honest as I can about it. But you have people out there that are just cruel. And, I mean, I've left certain people's groups just because I I couldn't take it anymore. I was in Ollie's group for a long time, and I left. Once it got to, like, 11,000, 12,000 people, and people were just being mean, and you try to defend yourself, and then your posts get taken down, yeah. 
it, I, I left a lot of groups, a lot of polyglot groups. Yeah. Uh, but you still find Facebook a great resource for, you know, posting videos, getting oh, feedback yeah. of yeah. your target languages. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, like, it's amazing. Even if I just say a couple words, like, hello, how are you? My name is, you know, simple stuff. And I just say, I'm a beginner at this, you know. Any feedback you guys can give me on my pronunciation. And, I I mean, I remember I'm in um, Jessica Brown's uh, Japanese group. Yes. And so I would post stuff in Japanese. And people were like, if you need any help, let us know. Oh, my God, your Japanese is not bad. I was like, well, I just learned this in, like, three hours. What? <laughs> well, I mean, because I was motivated. That's another thing people fail to realize about me. I'm extremely motivated to learn. When you come from an environment where people tell you no every day, you can't do this, you're not, you, you know, they don't want you or whatever, you know, you're being segregated again discriminated against constantly not because of the color of my skin so much but because i have a visual impairment so people think it's a liability you know so unfortunately for me you know i live uh on disability and i live in public housing and you know when you're not able to work because you know people refuse to hire you it's very hard you know, you're not able to do some of the things that everybody else can do because you're not uh, financially equipped to do so. Um, you know, like, I'm happy that stuff has stopped for a minute because now it gives the whole world time to pause and think about what's most important. Like, in regards to life in general, humanity in general, how we treat each other. Um, because I kind of felt the world was going around in a big, huge circle on its axis. And people weren't being considerate of each other. You know, people were taking each other for granted. You know. And for me personally, I'm a people person. I'm an extrovert. So I love being around all kinds of people. You know, I come from a very multi-ethnic um, family. So for me, it's not a big thing. You know, I got Irish and German and Chinese and Mexican, Native American, Puerto Rican, you know, black in me, you know, in my family. So for us, you know, we were raised, you know, colorblind to some extent. So, for me, I've always been around a lot of people from other countries, and I've, I've never seen people because of their race or their economics or their level of education. I just saw them as a human being. But when that doesn't get reciprocated on my end by other people, it can become somewhat, um, you know, difficult to navigate through sometimes. And I, I've come to learn you know with being in the community that you have to pick your friends and the people you associate with in the language learning community very carefully um for all intents and purposes because people are people yet uh 
I kind of felt like there are certain people that have stuck by me throughout the years, which I'm very appreciative of. And then there are just some people I just had to drop and let go, um, mainly because they were very, they weren't, you know, susceptible to um, me. You know, they saw all the flaws. They didn't see me the person. And so I just had to let it go and chalk it up as a life experience because mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to find people like that in life. Like Chris Broholm and I were having this conversation on instant messenger a while back. And he was like, 90% of the people in the community are really cool. And then you got the 10% that's a little, you just want to stay away from. <laughs> and I said, I think there's a, a nice amount of that in any group of people that you happen to share a hobby with you know you're going to find a few people that are kind of off the you know rocker a little bit but uh because i wanted to uh interview the guy who created duolingo (laughs) and uh chris was like uh i talked to him just through email don't know if you want to (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, is it that bad? It was like, trust me. <laughs> it's that bad. Yeah. I'm like, really? He was like, yeah. And he was like, I can tell about a person's character through their email. This guy's like a little off. I was like, you sure it just wasn't that day? He's like, no. It was, I was like, oh, wow. I mean, but you don't know. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, you you really don't know how people, you know, can be until you interview them. Like, I mean, I was happy to get Stu J. Raj to come on the show. And that was a big deal to me. I mean, like, I felt like my dream came true, like, right after that. <laughs> you know, um, and I got to interview Dr. Krashen. And as you know, Dr. Stephen Krashen is, you know, one of the most revered um, experts on applied linguistics and um, comprehensible input, you know, in the world. So the fact that he actually agreed to come on my show was like a big deal to me. Like, I mean, we had this lovely conversation, and um, he was very sweet. And um, you know, interviewing uh, Vladimir Scaltetti and. Kirsten and Shannon and Lindsay and Richard and Alex and Jimmy and Ollie and a few others. Um, you know, Tim Keeley and um, there was a few. I mean, I, I have to be honest, like when I had the first interview with the first polyglot that I ever interviewed, which was Shannon Kennedy, I you know, you don't know um, what, you know, when you ask someone when you come on my show, if they're going to do it or not. And then when people just kept saying yes and yes and yes, I had to pinch myself. And I said to myself, okay, I must be doing something right. They must actually enjoy whatever it is I have to put out there. Me, the person. Because... For a very long time, I was always the person looking on the outside that was on the outside looking in pretty much. Yeah. You know, and have I arrived at the party yet? 
And I, I mean, now it's been two years since I've had my show. So, of course, I've arrived at the party. And I'm, you know, influencing other people who are disabled and non-disabled to, you know, learn languages. And I mean, I even got my godmother, who I just reunited with last year after 30-year absence, um, to learn Spanish. And she's half black, half Latina. So she's learning Spanish because, I mean, um, yeah, you know. So I guess I must be doing something, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you never know, do you? Who's going to be listening or how, you know, your example can inspire others. And uh, sometimes it can be the most unexpected ways. Uh, So what you can do is put your best out there. And, you know, see what people make of it. Yeah, because I remember yesterday I was watching um, uh, Richard had put up a video about the Polyglot Conference Global event that him and um, Tetsu and them are doing this year. And, um, you know, usually Richard is his cheerful self as we all know, yet there was something, like, I guess I caught the tail end of it or half of it, and I had to go back and watch the beginning because he was, like, in complete tears, just devastated. And I had no idea that his brother had died. And then I I had no idea that his brother was disabled. And so he gave me a shout-out yesterday because of the fact that, you know, me being disabled and me being african-american and me you know learning my languages the way that i do despite everything you know finances and you know not being able to travel and so forth and so on and having a visual impairment and technology issues and i still manage to do it and i said well a lot of it is you know because i i'm motivated to learn you know and i believe in education 100 percent um you know, you can take somebody's house, you can take their job, their car, you know, but you can't take their education. You know, they can always start over. Those are just materialistic things. The knowledge that you acquire over time will last you until the day you die. So for me, that's, you know, that's something that I really think about every single day, you know. As someone that's a person of color, here living here in the United States in this time where we're dealing with Black Lives Matter movements, that George Floyd situation and how horrific that was, you know, you're you're getting people coming out supporting, you know, black people here in the US, which I'm very happy to hear. I mean, I wish people would have woke up a long time ago. Because none of this should still be happening in this twenty first century where it's twenty twenty. But it's still going on, you know, the amount of systemic racism and police brutality and, you know, it's sad because you got all these people that won't wake up and realize, oh, well, this is, you know, well, I'm tired of hearing about this. Well, no, you need to hear about it. You need to be uncomfortable. What about that with you? It was like, you'd be happy you've never been lynched or, you know, shot at or you know, racially profiled by, like, the police or something, you know, because you're in a nice car or, you know, 
whatever the case is. I mean, it's ridiculous. I was like, all lives matter, yes. But when one group of people are being hounded and, and taken out like rabbit dogs, you have to say enough is enough at some point. And, you know, I mean, I've had to block people and I've had to unfriend people because they just were delusional and not waking up to the reality that this is really happening. You know, if that woman wouldn't have recorded what happened to George Floyd, none of us would know what happened to him. It would have been covered up. And as of today, they just dismantled the police station in Minneapolis, and they said they're going to restart over. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping that this can educate everybody worldwide, you know, that this sort of thing needs to end. And, I mean, on one end, I'm very proud to, you know, be African-American and living in this time where, you know, we can still stand up for what we believe in in a peaceful nature without having to loot or riot. But I understand their anger. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. You know, I mean, I don't agree with the looting and, and the stealing and the rioting and setting stuff on fire because that's not going to bring this man back to his family. So, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that a lot of people in the language learning community have stood with us here in the States and have given their um, support. I really appreciate that, um, you know, because these are very weird times. I mean, and we're also dealing with a pandemic, you know, that's taking people out like a thief in the night. So at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy that I am a part of a community where, you know, people can accept people for who they are, you know, and not because of the rest of it. I suppose the center of gravity, you know, among language learners is, as you say, there are some unpleasant people but the very fact that you're going out of the way to learn another language is you know indicates one would hope a sort of openness oh yeah uh, um and certainly for success you have to you know shapeshift don't you you have to enter a different cultural world and be open to it you've got to tune in to a different culture and I would like to think that that encourages tolerance and, you know, diversity from the from the inside almost. Right. I mean, because I, you know, it's it's pretty sad when we've come so far as people as a whole, but yet we still have a long way to go and race relations and being able to like treat people as human beings and not look at them as freaks of nature because they're either loving somebody of the same sex or they have a different disability or they communicate differently or they look differently or they're rich or they're poor. You know, at the end of the day, I, I, I see people as people. I hear rest about the rest of it because we're all just flesh and blood, you know? 
God made us all to be different. I truly do believe that. But at the end of the day, we all have some commonalities, you know? I mean, we want to live life to the best of our abilities and enjoy our friends and family and make more connections and grow as a human race and evolve and learn more. But at the end of the day, you know, um, I would think that our differences would make us more stronger instead of less. And I would think that, you know, we could learn from each other in regards to our differences. Because if we were all the same, this world would be boring. <laughs> That's for sure. Unfortunately. But, like many people say all the time, everyone learns differently. Which is true. There might be certain courses we may use that may be the same, but we use them differently in order to get the information that we want from them. But, um, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, the more people that can learn languages, it can build more bridges and connect us on more levels than what we're being exposed to today, you know? Yes, I mean, that has to be the hope, doesn't it? Yeah, and, I remember um, I, I said that to John Bandar of Language Boost. He had asked uh, for someone to give their meaning to what language learning is. And I had said something to the effect of, I feel that language learning is a way to be able to commu- a bridge to communicate not only cultures, thoughts, and ideas, but people together from all over the world. And um, he was like, I like that. Can I use that? I was like, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, that's just how I see it. I see us as one big rainbow family from all over the place trying to learn a little bit more about each other. You know, we might be separated by continent and by ocean. But we're more closer because of, you know, the Internet and whatnot. So we're much smaller in that way as opposed to, you know, thousands of miles. Yes, the Internet is, you know, it's been the biggest change in my language learning life, the advent of the Internet. And it's almost comical to think how difficult it was, you know, to get at. You couldn't pick up easily foreign language radio when I was, you know, a teenager or my early 20s. And because it was before the Internet. Right. And, you know, you had to write off and order cassette tapes and then CDs. Right. Um, And yet now we have so much. It's amazing. And we can use audiovisual, like you've been saying, for our own language practice, but also for the input. But then on the other hand, the Internet also is behind some of the polarization in society and the hatred isn't it it's a way that you know haters can congregate and find their kindred spirits as well so it amplifies in all directions um and um so i suppose a key thing is educating people 
to think, well, where is what I'm reading in my timeline coming from? How is this verified? Whose interests is it serving that this information is out there? What's the agenda? And so education becomes more important than ever now. Well, again, the Internet has this amazing role to play. Yeah, and then also the whole issue with, you know, what's freedom of speech anymore? Because as soon as you say something and someone's going to take it apart and, you know, overanalyze it and make more out of what you said than what you intended to say with the message you wrote. You know, I see that a lot with a lot of young people. You know, they get offended by everything that you say. And you could just be speaking your native tongue of English. And they get offended. And then they can't tell you why they're offended. They're just offended. <laughs> and I've, I've called a few people out on it. Or I've said, you know, like, they don't want to talk about race. They don't wish they should. They don't want to talk about discrimination of any kind. Which they should, um, you know, but they want to complain about everything. And I'm like, uh, honey, you've lived in the digital world. You grew up in a digital world. I grew up in an analog world where I didn't have the internet. I had to, um, I didn't own a computer until I was 24, which was about 19 years ago. And I didn't learn text speech until I was about 24, 25 years old. So for me, I was still reading and writing large print with my eye, and I was still writing longhand. So I didn't really, I started tinkering with the internet when you were still like able to go online and do Yahoo and AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> you know, and you had to dial up. And if you were on the internet, nobody can get into the phone. Because the phone was being used because you were on the internet. Exactly. How, you know, and people, they, these young people don't understand that. They don't remember that to save their life. You know, God forbid. Oh, my God, I need a like. I need, why? <laughs> I mean, I didn't get on social media until I was 32. So, I mean, and I really didn't care. You see what I'm saying? Because I was too busy living my life. And I, you know, people wonder, well, why did you take a break? Why did you, um, the internet can be a very toxic place. And if I don't get off of it, I won't have a life. You know, I, I have a life outside of the internet. <laughs> you know, and, and people don't realize that. They think you're on Facebook 24 hours or on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube or WhatsApp or whatever. And it's just like, um, honey, I got rent and bills to pay just like you do. I got to go to the grocery store. I got to go get my hair cut or go take my dog to the groomer. I don't have, you see what I'm saying? Like, to me, it's almost like on one end, yes, it's great for language learning. It's great for learning about information. But it's it also can be really addicting to the point where you don't know when to hang it up. So I have to give myself, I have to detox myself sometimes, you know. Just because it's that addicting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a good idea. It's a good idea to, you know, 
the digital detox. Oh, I know people that do that. I, the actress, Drew Barrymore, says she usually takes a month off every other month just for her own mental sanity. Mm. I've gotten to the point now where if I don't like someone's post, I just um, hide it. And then if I don't like what they're saying and it, it just doesn't gel with me, I will unfriend them and block them. Just because I don't feel that it's necessary you know, it's good to have freedom of speech, but if you're going to blast somebody, you're going to deface people, you know, it's not constructive. No one's learning anything from it. I'm not going to sit there and continue to read this or support this. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you that I blocked you. You'll find out when, when you can't interact with me anymore, <laughs> you know, because honestly, I'm 43 years old now. I don't have time for it. I do have a life. Um, you know, and that's even, that even goes with language learning to some extent. Like I've gotten to the point now where as much as I love certain people and what they do, you know, I had to like stop watching people's videos because I wasn't getting anything accomplished in my own language learning. It was no fault of them personally. It's just, I just had to turn it off. And I think Ollie said it best. He had to stop following so many people. He just stopped. Because he wasn't getting anything accomplished. You know. And, yeah. I mean, he's a workaholic. Oh, my God. <laughs> Every time I turn around, he's coming up with something. Um, I think he just got finished with a boot camp he has recently. An eight-week boot camp on language learning. And then he did another one where he was helping people learn how to start their businesses online for like a thousand dollars. And, and I was like, you go. <laughs> I, I have to get him back on the show though, because I really want to know, um, his experience of, of doing the Michelle Thomas Korean course as a student. Cause I've interviewed, Sue Hart and Sarah Cole and I've interviewed a few of the um, people who have done some of the courses and I really want a student's perspective perspective on it because he was in there for four days you know what what was going through your mind mm. you know I mean because you're there from nine to five you know I mean you do have a break for lunch and you have some breaks in between but you know, that's four days, and that's a lot of <laughs> learning a language from scratch. So, you know, especially if you've never done it that way before. So, um, but I applaud him for doing that because that took a lot of guts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to do something like that myself just to just to say I did it. I mean, I mean, if I can do it at home, you know. But I do tell people, just because you do it once doesn't mean you're going to have all the information sink in. You're going to have to go and revisit the course a number of times just to get all the information. We're supplementing other um, materials because you're not going to be highly proficient just using one one course. You know, that's why I use, you know, memorize when I feel like it or, you know, um, I'll try something new, like, because I'm doing ca coffee break Swedish, I'm, you know, 
that's something new that I haven't tried before. So I'm doing that to test myself and, and my knowledge of the, of the language. And, you know, it helps me. Um, I either like to do it early in the morning between the hours of 6 and 9. Or I like to do it between the hours of 9 and 11 at night. Um, one or the other. So, for me, um, once I'm in the zone, I'm in the zone, and I do it, and, uh, you know, I, if I feel like doing a little bit, I'll do a little bit. If I feel like doing a lot, I will. But, because there's no timeline that I put on myself for how far I want to get with it, if I just say I just want the basics, I'll do the basics. If that's all I want, then fine. You know, but I always let people know, I'm not highly proficient in this language. I only know so much information because that's all I want to know. But that doesn't mean I'm not a serious language learner. That just means that I only want to know so much information in that particular language yep. for that particular amount of time. Yep. So, you know, for me personally, a lot of my learning is geared towards I like to watch movies I like to read books and magazines I like to listen to the news like I listen to the news Prince 24 up until they messed up the um, app on my Apple TV I used to be able to watch the news and listen to the news in French I can no longer use that feature now it's only allowing English and Spanish you can't even do the Arabic unless I use either my iPod, my iPad Pro app for France 24 or my iPad, I mean my iPhone 11 Pro app. Then I can listen to it in French as much as I want. But as far as the Apple TV app, it's not, it's not um, allowing me to, to listen to it like I was before. And I mean, I would listen to news in French for about three hours in the background and nothing but French news from France. And lo and behold, Tetsu Young and Steve Kaufman, which I had the opportunity to both interview, um, they uh, were speaking in French, uh, Quebec French. And I actually understood 90% of the conversation. Um, and that was because I was listening to like 15 hours of French a week, just the news and how they were speaking. Mm. And so none of it came from a textbook. And I try to find as much authentic stuff as I want. And as if you notice, I am the go-to for Harry Potter. Um, for some reason, I want to know what version of Harry Potter um, there is. Like, if I'm learning Hindi, I need to have a Hindi copy. If I'm doing Arabic, I need an Arabic copy. Icelandic, Finnish. I need copies of that book inside of my my iPad because I want to be able to read something I've already read before, but I also want to look at it from a linguistic standpoint and see what the differences are between the English version and the version that, that I'm, I'm currently diving into in regards to the language that I'm learning at the moment. So... For me, I'll do that. But people actually think that's all I read is Harry Potter when in fact it's not the case. It, but I do that because it is something that I've read a lot. But now I've gotten to the point where I stopped doing that 
and I just go for movies that I'm I've seen so many times throughout the course of my life. I'll put on the subtitles for whatever language I'm learning, and I'll just let voiceover read me the subtitles out loud in the language, and that's how I'm getting my my input because it's natural speech. This is how they're speaking, you know. Or this is how. Hello. This, oh yeah. Hello. So, Hello. Hello. Oh, can you hear me? Huh, this is weird. Hello? Huh, can you hear me? Garrett? Hello? Oh, it's here. Can you hear me? Huh. 